This presentation is from Design Research 2021, Day 3. Our next uh, presenter is Jess Nichols. Uh, Jess is the Manager of User Research at a Cloud Guru. Um, and we'll be talking about how to engage uh, with stakeholders throughout the design journey, throughout the research journey. Hi, Jess. Hey, how's it going? Very well, thank you. If you are ready, take it away. Well, I hope everybody is having an awesome day and is all ready to eat lunch and listen to how to create impact across the research journey. Um, firstly, I would just like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that we're meeting on across Australia today. And I'd also like to pay my respects to all elders, past, present and emerging. For those that I haven't met, uh, my name is Jess Nichols and I've been researching people as a qualitative researcher for the last decade. And throughout my career, I've led research at Twitter, at Uber and at Deloitte. And as Steve mentioned, I'm currently leading user research at the Cloud Guru. Throughout my career, I've discovered that one of the most complicated parts about being a researcher, especially a qualitative researcher, is creating an impact with your work. However, creating an impact doesn't happen when you share a report or share a presentation. It happens much earlier in the research process. And so today I'll be sharing more about how to create an impact across your research journey and considerations to make sure that you're successful at any stage of your research maturity. But first a story, well, less of a story and more of a big career screw up. So after many years in consulting, I had transitioned to working in an embedded tech team. You know, don't get me wrong, working in consulting was great. You'd get an experience across a variety of different industries working on challenging problems. But once you'd finished on a project, you'd move to the next one. You're not necessarily accountable for making sure that your work has an impact. However, in an embedded tech team, you're partnering with product managers, designers, engineers, and other teams and stakeholders. And so as a researcher, you're just as accountable for making sure that your work has an impact as everybody else on the team and really making sure that you're able to drive positive change in all of the experiences that you're working on. As I just joined this company and their team as their first researcher, I was laser focused on doing a really good job on my first project. Once I had discussed with my product manager what research topic to tackle, which was to identify how to improve efficiency of our internal operations team, I got to work. I disappeared into my research hole to get it done. I interviewed a bunch of people across the organization, did rigorous synthesis, created a 70 plus page presentation, and even worked to quantify the impact of my recommendations, which was something that I'd never done before. I felt like I had it in the bag. Well, I did not have it in the bag. So some of the things that I uncovered during my research were HR issues and potential legal issues. So the leadership team was concerned about some of my insights that I uncovered. And so rather than being able to share my really hard work, it was hidden away to determine next steps. So although it was a screw up, it was probably one of the most greatest learning opportunities I've had in my career to date. Fundamentally, I learned that research, especially in embedded teams, is a partnership. And although it's incredibly tempting, you can't do research in a black box. You can't hide by yourself and just do the research without telling anyone what you're working on or taking anyone along that research journey with you. If I had taken my team along the journey, I would have been able to identify that my PM counterpart had never actually worked with researchers before and probably needed to have more expectations set about the process and the research output. I would have seen those legal and HR red flags much sooner and I could have made leadership aware of the important insights that I was hearing from my team so they would have been able to action them. 
So although as researchers we want to have these drop-the-mic moments with our insights, the unknown can be uncomfortable, especially for our teams and stakeholders. And this can lead to negative reactions if insights are related to their team or if it's something that they haven't heard before. And that's not a feeling we want them to have. So at the end of the day, there should be no surprises in research. Impact from research comes from alignment and having a shared understanding with your team. By the time you are sharing your findings, your team should already know what the outcomes and the recommendations are from your research. And even better, they should have contributed to them too. So what exactly is research impact? Well, I think many researchers struggle with articulating the impact of their work, especially when it's not as publicly tangible as other teams in a cross-functional setting. So for example, like engineers have their code, designers have their designs, and product managers have launched products. But because research is so interwoven into all of those decisions, we don't have something that we can directly point to and say, that's what I built. Because of this, we as researchers need to be able to define, own, and articulate our impact to other teams so they can see how the work that we've done has been incorporated into the decisions of their teams themselves. I believe there are two types of impact that you can incorporate into your research journey, direct impact and indirect impact. So direct impact is when there is a direct link between the work you have done and some sort of change in either a product or a design decision or a link to a business outcome, such as a metric uplift or OKR. You're more likely to be able to find tangible impact in your work when there's more of a quantifiable lens to it. So this could be through things like quantitative research, evaluative research, or experimentation. But you'll find that the one thing that all of these have in common is that there is a clear solution or outcome from the research that's conducted that can be directly applied to this solution. So for example, when you're doing a usability test, you can identify if users are able to complete a certain task in that design that you're creating. And if they're unable to, then you can update the designs, test it, and see that they actually can now see the designs. When researchers are trying to determine the impact of their work, they primarily think about the tangible impact, but indirect impact is also just as important for researchers. Indirect impact is when there isn't an explicit link between the work you have done and the final product or business outcome, but the outcome of the research has influenced decisions made through the development process. So you'll generally find that most qualitative research, especially on the foundational or generative side, is going to fall into this space. The one thing that these research approaches have in common is that although you can provide a point of view or recommendations, they're not associated with an explicit product change. So there is more of an emphasis on the long game by influencing your team to leverage your research findings. So for example, if you're running a foundational piece of research to help define the desirability component of a product strategy, once you had completed your research, there may still be open questions around feasibility or viability that may actually end up changing the final result. But the insights you would have created have influenced a large part of that product strategy. However, regardless of whether you're looking for direct or indirect impact with your research, you need to be proactive about defining what you want to impact in the first place. Your research impact should be defined and aligned on with your team when you start the research. You need to be clear about what research you're doing, why, and where this research will be used in other parts of the product development lifecycle. And personally, if you're not really clear on these things, you probably shouldn't be doing research in the first place. If you don't have this clarity, then it's likely that your research won't be used and won't have an impact, and this could negatively influence the perception of research within your team. 
So when we're thinking about defining the impact and outcomes of your research, use a business lens as much as you can. If you can articulate the business impact or the lever you're looking to move, it makes it much easier to frame your research approach and questions in a way that can really help drive a shared understanding with your team. Because fundamentally, as someone that works at a business, you want to align your outcomes to what your business wants to achieve. And these outcomes are often shared across teams in an organization. The way to determine what business outcomes to focus on is to identify what's important to your stakeholders and leadership teams. Think of it as a mini empathy project by putting yourself in their shoes. What's keeping them up at night? What are their goals? How can they look good in front of their own bosses? And the first thing to review in this sort of phase is the organization's OKRs, KPIs, company goals, or a roadmap that they're working towards. This is a great North Star to determine opportunities that may tie into potential research projects. And if you're unable to find any of these things to help guide your research, then there are always evergreen business outcomes that every company is looking to improve, such as reducing the cost to serve customers, increasing retention, or improving efficiency. But once you've identified the business outcomes you think would be impactful to work towards, you'll probably discover that there are open questions or limited confidence in part or all of these outcomes. Hmm, it's like they need to do research to increase the confidence in the work they're doing towards their goals. Hmm. And this is actually the secret source to creating impact with your research. You can always show the value of research by articulating how you're mitigating business risk through increasing the confidence in the decisions that your team is making that tie to the business outcomes that they're working towards. However, it's not just as simple as finding a business objective, running research, and then creating an outcome that has buy-in with your team. One area to consider is the level of maturity around research in your organization. And this is because organizations that have a lower level of maturity probably don't have a clear idea of all the types of methodologies of research that are out there, and will most likely have a perception that research is just there to validate assumptions or tick the box in a product development life cycle. So what this means is they'll probably have more expectations around research having a direct impact on the work that they're doing, which means you probably wanna lean more towards evaluative or quantitative approaches for research to help them actually understand the value of the research activities. On the flip side, Organizations that have a high level of maturity will be able to recognize the impact of research can be fuzzy sometimes, and that research will not always have a tangible outcome. This means you can focus more on influencing your teams with research outcomes to give yourself a larger seat at the table during product decision-making. So as we think through how you're going to create impact with your research, it's important to balance this with the maturity to make sure that you and your teams have a shared mental model of what research is and how it can be incorporated into the product development lifecycle. So for example, if you're working with a low maturity organization who probably thinks of research as just running a usability test, which is something that I've actually experienced in the past, then investing something in like jobs to be done probably won't resonate with them because they won't understand how to apply it to their work and so it won't be used or create research impact. There are four key phases to consider in research maturity which tie to how research is used in an organisation. None, where research outcomes aren't part of the decision-making process. Push, where research outcomes have to be sold into a team. Pull, where teams are actively seeking research outcomes, and parallel, where research outcomes become a partnership between researchers and the teams. 
So let's dive into these stages a little bit more. So at the first stage, when there isn't any maturity, there's most likely not going to be any research happening, but you may see sparks of research throughout the organization. And what I mean by sparks is that people may be doing some research here and there, but it's not going to be called research. And you may expect that in this type of organization, research is a part of other roles. It's not a distinct role in itself. So designers or product managers are probably responsible for running their own research. If research is being run, it's probably going to be tactical and very poorly executed. And this isn't because there's any bad intent behind this, but there isn't any confidence or clarity in how to research effectively. And they may have hired external researchers such as consultants or contractors in the past, but they would have not have actioned the outcomes from this work because the barrier to change is too high and there's no ownership to move forward with. So if you're looking to create impact in research at an organization without any research maturity, it needs to be baby steps and just proving that research can be useful. And this could be through finding a small quick win with direct impact. So usability or concept testing can be a really great quick opportunity here. Providing guidance and tips to others running research already, such as suggestions for improving question asking or getting to an insight from your research data. Um, or creating partnerships with other information teams and just surfacing this information. So information teams could be any team that's capturing information or data from customers, like customer support, analytics, data science, marketing, or even sales. And they'll most likely have insights or data that you can share with your own teams. At this next stage, push. Research is happening, but the outcomes aren't really part of the product decision-making process, which means that researchers need to be banging the drum and selling in research to anyone that will listen. You can expect that research questions are often repeated because previous research is not being leveraged. Oftentimes, this is because people don't know where to look or research is done so tactically, it's interwoven into other documents and isn't searchable. Researchers aren't in the room where it happens. And what I mean by it is that any decision around product or prioritization that may have an impact on research. There'll also be a limited understanding or assumptions about research. So most likely you'll be hearing that research is more there as a validation exercise. So to create impact for teams that still need to be sold on the value of research, you need to focus on initiatives that help push the visibility of research in an organization. Some examples of this would be to find and enable research advocates within your team and organization. So although there may be people who don't understand research in your team, oftentimes there's maybe one or two people who are passionate about research or have been able to successfully run their own research in the past. By giving these people the tools and confidence they need to run research more effectively, you can encourage them to champion the value and impact of research in the broader organization. Visualize your research outcomes. Realistically, people who are not invested in research are not going to read 20 plus page research reports. Use creative ways to present your findings so they're engaging and digestible. So you may want to consider things like videos, data visualizations, or posters of your insights. And then finally, connect the dots across research and information sources to help your teams understand how to tap into existing insights and surface that information that they may not be aware of, especially if they're working in silos. At the pull stage, teams actually want research and will actively look to find research and insights that they can leverage in their product development process. And although the intent is there, oftentimes research isn't fully set up for success 
because there's tactical or solutionized requests for research that are often very narrowly scoped to evaluating or validating specific product needs, or by having a certain methodology or approach in mind without knowing if it's the right one to actually use. So for example, I once had someone come to me and say, hey, I wanna understand users' pain points, but I wanna send a survey which obviously is not the right approach because you can't ask why and deep, dive deeper into what those pain points actually are. Research is born into decision-making, but it's often too late in the product development life cycle. And so this might be happening after designs are done or after um, you know, engineering is happening within a sprint. Um, Non-researchers may also be ad hoc running their own research, but oftentimes will not be using the correct methodologies or incorrect sample sizes. You may commonly see your teams influenced by an individual conversation that they've had with a customer saying, oh, so-and-so just said this, so we should just go build it. Um, you can tell this has happened to me before, <laughs> um, especially if that customer is a high revenue customer for the company. Oftentimes, teams at this stage are most likely doing their research in silos, as they're often tactically associated with their immediate needs. So to create impact in these teams, you need to help teams connect and have a shared understanding that they can work from. And so this could be through creating shared understanding artifacts, such as personas, user needs, or journey maps that help teams align on what they're working towards. And there's bonus points if this aligns back to your original business objectives. Uh, research repositories can then also help centralize insights and knowledge from across the team to help build a shared understanding of what organizations do and probably more importantly, don't actually know. And then finally, education and guidance through the research process. So teams actually have a better idea of the right times to bring in research and to help teams think more strategically about their research projects as well. At the final stage, parallel, research has buy-in. It's being pushed into teams, but also pulled by teams consistently. Research has fundamentally become an equal partner in the decision-making process, and research is woven into product strategies, so it's a critical part of this decision-making process for products. You'll also see proactive identification of research opportunities, both strategic and tactical, by teams, so really allowing there for me the appropriate time to run research effectively without excessive time pressures for delivery. You'll also find that the research process, resources, and tooling are much more clearly defined and leveraged by the team for their own research projects. So you can have a lot more confidence that research is being run effectively without a lot of oversight. At this stage, you wanna make sure that you're removing roadblocks and bottlenecks for research. So creating impact is more around enabling efficiency through the research process by, firstly, empowering your team members to run their own research projects and help them build the confidence that they're also able to be effective researchers. Being one step ahead in foundational and strategic opportunities, so you can ensure that the outcomes of more ambiguous research projects has the influence to, sorry, has the ability to influence those decisions and then identify process and research operation improvements through looking for opportunities to increase the efficiency in areas that are pretty painful. Um, you might want to think of things like participant recruiting or analysis or knowledge management here. So based on this maturity model, the further along you get, you generally have more involvement from teams and stakeholders in the research process. So if we think back to our no surprises principle, we can then identify different opportunities to get teams involved through the research lifecycle. Because if you try to do something too advanced or too large of a commitment to your teams, you won't have the buy-in and engagement with research. And again, I would not assume that there's malice or bad intent by this, but honestly, they just won't understand the value of your effort that you've undertaken and why it should be considered or prioritized in their own work. 
So as we go further up the maturity model, we can add to the level of involvement from teams. So think of the next few slides more as building blocks on top of each other, rather than an either or approach for impact through the research journey. So before research projects, so this is when you're identifying the research need and planning for the research. So you really wanna be able to set the scene and build an understanding for what research you're running and why. If you're at the none stage, then I would frame it more as an informed mode, where you're giving visibility and allowing for your input into the research projects if people are interested, but not really pushing for it or driving for anything further than that. You really want to encourage that curiosity and interest from your projects that could lead to relevant insights from your teams. With push, although you are most likely championing and driving the projects yourself, you can start to share more about the research process with your teams. So this might be through collaborating on key stages in the research process for them to get a taste of what research is. Um, and you might want to consider activities like helping them, you know, work with you to define the research questions or determining which participants to recruit. Once you get to the pull stage, you're more likely to be building stronger collaboration between you and your teams. So you're able to start working more closely together on individual research projects, potentially partnering with product managers and designers to scope and execute research projects together. And at the parallel stage, you're fully embedded into the product development life cycle. So you're more likely going to be able to partner with your teams to identify research opportunities at the earlier stages, like OKR or product strategy activities so you can divide and conquer together. During research projects, it's important to make sure that you're sharing and giving visibility to the work that you're doing. And you really wanna make sure that your teams are being taken on that research journey. However, in the early phases, you probably aren't gonna be getting many team, interested, team members interested in attending research sessions, because again, they're not gonna understand the value of attending. So during the none and push phases, I would just try to aim to inform as much as you possibly can. And again, invite those that may be interested, but manage your own expectations on the level of attendance you'll get at research sessions. I found that using a project specific Slack channel to work out loud and share status updates can be really good for those that are interested and it's a great way to give visibility to your work without too much overhead. At the later stages, once your teams are more engaged with research, you'll more likely find you'll have consistent attendance at sessions, especially if there are project outcomes that would be beneficial for stakeholders. And so this is where you can start asking for more active participation in research activities. So for example, I find getting stakeholders writing notes in research sessions to be useful, firstly, because it actually keeps them engaged during a one hour research session. Um, but it also helps you understand the areas that your stakeholders are implicitly prioritizing in their notes from your sessions. Once you have colleagues running their own research projects, it can also be a great opportunity to start collaborating through the research journey, especially if there's opportunities to converge on outcomes or insights from specific projects. After finishing a research project, this is, wanna make, this is where you wanna make sure that you're setting yourself up to capture that impact. So at the earliest stages of maturity, you probably wanna be more proactive and targeted with the type of insights you share to show how you're able to close the knowledge gaps that teams or individuals have with research. Remember, the whole point of these earlier phases is to find the research advocates in your team. So any insights that are super targeted to help create or encourage those advocates is what you want to aim for. And this might be through a really simple, actionable insight that an advocate can rally behind and then share with their own teams. 
In the later stages, the lens shifts to be more about how to create accessibility and traceability from your research outcomes to other projects and broader company initiatives. So you can assume at these stages, you'll have more people actively looking for research insights to leverage for their own work. So you can focus less on selling the insights, but making sure that the right insights are being applied to the right projects or OKRs. So research engagement can mean many things, but at the end of the day, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. You need to be able to consider things like the level of research maturity and where you think the best places are to engage your teams throughout the research lifecycle to make sure that you and your teams can build a shared understanding of the research process. You need to make sure that you're meeting them where they are on their own research journey so they can understand the value of research and see the value in future investment. However, in saying that, there are some things you can do that can be generally applied across different levels of research maturity, all with the lens of reducing the level of surprise throughout your research project. So firstly, put yourself in your team's shoes. What do they want and why should they care? This is a great empathy exercise to kick off your research project, to understand what is driving your teams and tailor your research experience to match what's important to them. So for example, if you know that they're getting pressure on meeting certain OKRs, find opportunities to share relevant data points throughout your research process that will make them look good in front of their own bosses. Secondly, take the lid off the research box. It's important to be transparent about the processes and effort it takes to do research, especially if your teams haven't worked with researchers before because they may not fully understand why it takes time to do research and may not understand why you can't share research results within a week of you starting a research project. The same way that you wanna build empathy for others, you want others to build empathy for the research process and the challenges it entails. However, this is a two-way street, so researchers need to be comfortable to democratize and give visibility to everything that happens in the research process, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Taking your teams on the journey, especially when there's bumps, can help them understand your research process, but can also give them opportunities to help you with research as well. So for example, if you're having challenges with recruiting, you know, maybe your stakeholders are aware of other channels that you can recruit participants from that you could potentially tap into. This is probably the most uncomfortable part of research, sharing before you feel like you've fully articulated your insights. However, in a business context, you're working in a team, not as an individual researcher. And so it's important to make sure that you're working out loud as much as you possibly can and sprinkling what you're learning wherever you can, even if it's not fully baked. This is also a great way to start understanding what resonates and doesn't resonate with your teams. And so this can also help you potentially pivot on research as you continue execution or help with preventing watchouts. So for example, I was working on a project where one of my findings was around the perceived accuracy of data on a platform. However, in talking with an engineering director, he flagged that saying that the platform was inaccurate was a very sensitive word and would prevent the teams from focusing on the bigger picture and the outcomes from my research. So what this meant that I could do was then reframe this finding in a way that still fundamentally had that core insight, but would not completely derail my presentation before I did the broader share out. Additionally, make insights digestible and easy to action. So some real talk, you have to be comfortable that no one outside of research is probably gonna read your research report. The main thing that stakeholders really care about from your research is going to be understanding what action do I need to take? So insights should really be articulated in a way that's easy to understand, 
relevant for your teams, but also accurate to the research outcomes. And so one useful approach to preventing no surprises during insight sharing is to use inductive reasoning to share your insights and outcomes at the start of when you're actually doing your report. So your stakeholders know what to expect in the rest of your research. The other thing you can, can consider is an atomic insights approach where each insight is discrete in itself. However, if you don't, if you have a high level of maturity within your organization, sorry, if you don't have a high level of maturity, um, it can be hard for you to get stakeholders to change the way that they work with research, especially if they're running research themselves. So you need to be able to make sure that you can clearly define a flexible information architecture that aligns to the mental models of your team to make sure that insights are findable, but then also used as well. And finally, make moments that matter to your team. For those that are engaging in research, either directly by attending a session or indirectly by watching a video or a presentation, there'll always be a light bulb moment that will resonate with your team. Uh, usually it's an insight or a data point that they'll be talking about for months to come. Having your teams attend research sessions and hearing directly from your customers is incredibly useful and incredibly important. And oftentimes these moments that resonate with them can be something that a customer shares that's unexpected or it changes their way of thinking about a product. Because fundamentally, you have to get your stakeholders to care about research so you're able to create impact. Everyone is going to have different priorities. Everyone's already very busy. And so it's all about finding the right combination of elements to personalize the way to make sure that your research will resonate with your team. On the flip side, if you're at a high level of research maturity in your organization, you're most likely going to have more demand than supply for research because your teams care so much about making sure that research is incorporated into the decision-making process. It's a very tough challenge to have. So how do you choose which research projects to work on? I know this is going to sound very obvious, um, but a researcher should only work on the most impactful research projects available in their organization. It can be easier and much more comfortable to work on the smaller or more tactical research projects. They'll feel just like little rocks that you can just quickly go and solve. But if you're not working in service of your goal to create an impact with research, you can get bogged down in these smaller asks. So how do you choose which projects to run? Now, I'm sure many of you have worked with importance versus urgency matrixes before. However, the challenge with these axes is that the most important, most stakeholders will think that their research is important and urgent, which can make it very difficult to make a decision on which projects to action. So I've reframed this approach to consider influence and ambiguity. So influence is pretty straightforward. How much is this going to impact product strategy or OKRs? For ambiguity, how much or how little clarity is there in the problem space? As a researcher, you are gonna be able to create more impact, creating clarity from fuzziness. And so I would always prioritize ambiguity when determining which research projects to drive myself. The biggest opportunity you are gonna have as a researcher is working in spaces where you can pioneer a point of view, which is going to be in a high influence, high ambiguity project. Most likely these will be more on the foundational side, but it helps you as a your researcher to work where there is the most need for research clarity to move forward. For lower influence projects with high ambiguity, these are great fast follow opportunities to help close knowledge gaps across the organization. These types of projects probably also need an assessment to determine if there's a way to consolidate them or bring them closer to being a higher influence project. Less ambiguous projects on the other hand are often straightforward and clear on what needs to be done. 
If there's a high level of influence in these projects, then this is a really great opportunity for a stakeholder to drive these themselves to understand the impact of research firsthand. On the flip side, if there's a project that has low ambiguity, but also is not influential, it'll probably not be worth running. It might be worth considering if research questions can be answered by existing knowledge, data, or incorporated into existing research initiatives. Although it may feel counterintuitive to be open to helping everyone that has a research need, it's important to delegate the research projects that again, do not increase your own influence and impact. Working on lower influence or straightforward projects can dilute your ability to create a new point of view or help drive customer centric change in your teams. So outside of running, you know, understanding the level of influence and the level of ambiguity with research projects, there are probably a few other considerations in determining the scope of which projects to run for non-researchers. Firstly, the scope of the research project should be crystal clear with as little ambiguity as possible. You wanna make sure that you have a relatively solid idea of what the outcome of the research will be. So there will not be any surprises in the outcome of the research. This will also help your colleague feel more confident that the research outcome will support knowledge gaps that they have and make sure that you and your colleague have a shared understanding of the project. Secondly, you should have an over-feasible timeline for this research. And what I mean by this is that the timeline should be something like 120-ish percent, not super accurate, but of the timeline that you would expect if a researcher was to run the project themselves. Most likely, your stakeholder will not prioritize research in the same way that you do, especially if they have other commitments or priorities. They will see doing research as more of a nice to have rather than putting in the rigor and effort that you would do if you were running the research project yourself. Again, there isn't bad intent behind this, but again, they probably don't understand how long some research steps take. So for example, you know, I've been working in B2B research for a while. And so when I, you know, do my priorities and my lists, you know, my teams are surprised that I'll buffer up to a month just for participant recruitment. And then they're even more surprised when I actually need all of that time just to recruit. However, you still want to make sure that they're able to successfully run the research so they're able to see the benefit. So by extending the timelines, you can give them the breathing room to meet any broader deadlines that they may have without it having a negative experience or a time crunch towards the end of the project. Additionally, projects that build on existing knowledge within an organization can be useful to delegate because this can help guide the research project and narrow the overall scope of what needs to be researched. So this could be anything from external market research or industry reports to internal research projects or data. Basically, this just helps provide a lot more clarity to what exactly needs to be researched, while also showing your colleague all the different knowledge that exists in their organizational ecosystem. Finally, you need to make sure that the projects that you delegate to others can be set up for success with limited guidance from you or other researchers and have enough guardrails for them not to make too many mistakes. Let them fail forward. For your colleagues that are running their own research projects for the first time, it's probably best to try and limit the scope to relatively straightforward methodologies, such as interviews, surveys, and usability tests, rather than more complex or nuanced methodologies. Templates can also be a really good opportunity here to provide more guidance to your teams if needed. The other counterintuitive thing to consider is that for you to have a successful research project, you need to learn to say no. This is another way you want to prevent the dilution of the impact in your research. 
Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that you go into your meetings on Monday and you'll know when anyone says that they have a research opportunity. Uh, but there's definitely a few times when it's good to try and push back on or at least try to understand more whether the research should be done or not, whether it's you or someone else running the research. So the first time to consider no is when you don't think a project will be successful. So this could be based on anything like the scope, timeline, participants, or the research questions. And if there's a project like this, it's often better to be upfront if you have concerns about the success of the project. Again, it's better to have no insights than bad insights. If you don't want to outright say no to someone, because I know that can be quite intimidating, um, you probably want to work with your team on understanding what trade-offs you can make. So this could be reducing the scope, increasing the timeline, having more flexibility on participants to increase the likelihood of the project becoming successful. The next time to consider no is when there's already a lot of existing knowledge around a topic and it feels like the project is just reinventing the wheel. Sometimes it's because your colleague isn't aware of research. Sometimes it's because existing research doesn't fully cover the research question someone has. And sometimes it can even be because your colleague didn't do the research themselves. In these cases, try to encourage your colleague to look at the previous research and then come back with more specific research questions based on the data and research reviewed. In some cases, you may even find that they no longer need to do the research because their questions have been answered by what we already know. The last time to consider no is when there's already a high level of confidence in the topic or outcome. From my experience, many product managers and designers want to have 100% confidence in what they're building or designing before they launch it. But realistically, this is impossible. You can do all of the research in the world, test all of the things, and there could still be an unexpected outcome once you ship. If your team is coming to you wanting to validate something before engineering, after reviewing existing research or conducting their own discovery, chances are that they probably already have a relatively high level of confidence in what they're doing and putting something in front of customers is more just there to check the box and incrementally increase their confidence. Research should just not be there to check the box as it really limits the amount of impact we can have in an organization. So in these cases, when there's already a high level of confidence in the outcome, I really encourage my teams just to trust their gut and run with what they have, because you're going to learn a lot more from a live product than an incremental increase in your understanding from research. And the reason that all of these things matter is that everyone that runs research should be successful and create impact. Even if it's not you running the research yourself, each opportunity for research is an opportunity to create impact and influence with the research. And the more people in your organization that have a positive experience with research, the more likely they are to become advocates for research and help you increase your organization's overall research maturity. But fundamentally, creating research impact is not going to happen overnight. It's something that's gonna take time and effort and will never be something that's ever truly over. Some days you'll take two steps forward, some days you'll take a step back, but the more that you persevere through this, the more benefits you'll be able to realize. But sometimes seeing those benefits is going to take time and it can be really discouraging if you're not seeing change, influence or impact as fast as you'd hoped. In my career, there's been plenty of times I've worked on projects not to see the impact come through for over a year after I've worked on something or not until after I've even left the company. And so you need to celebrate every small step forward you make on this journey. Someone new asked you about research. Someone referenced one of your insights in a product proposal. It is definitely time to celebrate. 
But even when you take those steps back and screw up, think of them as learning opportunities rather than failures. As I, start, as I shared at the start of my presentation, the times I've learned the most are when I've made mistakes. And so I encourage you to test and learn through your journey to create research impact. But you have to give yourself permission to fail. It can be really scary to try something new, especially when you don't feel like you have all the information that you need to move forward with. But in the same way that PMs are looking for incremental confidence in how they're building products, just looking at resources is just going to give you the same incremental confidence in how you run research. So trust your gut and think of it is that you either win or you learn. Because creating impact through research is a marathon, not a sprint. It's an incredibly hard experience that requires you to have grit and resilience, but you'll be so grateful that you had taken those first steps when you start seeing the impact of your work woven through your organization. So to summarize what I've shared today, firstly, there should be no surprises in research. Show the impact of your research by mitigating business risk. Meet your team where they are on their own research journeys. Make your stakeholders care about research. Everyone who runs research should be successful and create impact. And creating research impact is a marathon, not a sprint. And to close, I just wanted to share this wonderful quote by Benjamin Franklin as you look to bring your teams along the research journey. Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I may remember. Involve me and I learn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, everybody. I hope you learned something new and looking forward to the rest of the conference. Thank you so much, Jess. That was, that was really wonderful. Thank you.